continue with our new series, the series that we're bringing to you in January, which is entitled What You Get. And what we're exploring is the gifts that every born-again believer has received from their loving Father. Keeps checking out on me. Uh, just give me a handheld. Something quick. Every, every born-again child of God has received an abundance of gifts from their father. And there are some gifts that we all have in common. There are some gifts that are unique to our task, our calling, our destiny in life. But the things that are common to each of us are what I want to explore. Because the realization that God has gifted us, and everyone say, God has gifted me. You are very, very gifted. You're a gifted individual. You've got gifts in you from God. And what the world wants, needs, even if they don't know they need it, they need it is for you to unwrap and present those gifts and to be to the world what God has ordained you to be. So in other words, you've got to quit acting normal. And you've got to start acting supernatural. You've got to start believing that you can preach, pray, and prophesy. You've got to start being a fanatic about the things of God so you can step over into the supernatural. You follow me? Because what I want you to see, understand is this. You'll never live a supernatural life naturally. In other words, you've got to think supernaturally in order to behave supernaturally. You've got to understand there's more to you than what they see. There's more to you than what you've ever seen because the greater one abides in you. And so last week we explored the gift called hope. You remember we talked about how that hope is literally a cord that's tied to God himself. And I, wanna, I just want to put a, a postscript on what we taught last week so we understand some things that as long as that cord called hope is tied to God Almighty, there's no such thing as a hopeless Christian. Now, I'm not negating the fact that there may be seasons of life you feel hopeless. And there may be times when it looks hopeless. But we need to understand that my hope is not connected to anything natural. So it doesn't matter what it looks like in the natural, because in the natural, maybe it is hopeless. But if that hope is tied to God himself. Now, hear me when I say this. This isn't the sermon, so don't start those clocks. The only way for you to be hopeless is for in your mind, your perception, or your judgment, you to make God less. What do you mean by that? In your mind, God has to be less than what you're facing. Selah. He's got to be incapable of paying your rent. He's got to be less than the doctor's diagnosis. He has to be less than the enemy you're facing. If he's less than, then you can be hopeless. But the moment you change your focus and understand that he is the greater one, greater than what? Greater than anything. 
He's greater than what they've said. He's greater than the diagnosis. He's greater than your finances. And if your hope is tied to him, you'll never know a hopeless moment. Recall Abraham. You remember Abraham, right? The Bible says of Abraham that he did not grow weak in faith. Now, here's the reason why Abraham didn't. This is still this is just postscript. The reason why Abraham did not grow weak in faith is because he did not consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. He wasn't unaware of it. He was fully aware of the fact that Sarah never could have a child. But he had been promised that there would come a child through Sarah. Yet when he looked at Sarah, especially when she was old, he thought there ain't no hope there. Then when he went into the master bedroom and he checked out himself in that full-length mirror, he probably thought, Abe, you ain't half the man you used to be. There ain't no hope there. The good thing is I haven't connected my hope to Sarah. I haven't connected my hope to myself. I've connected my hope to God. And the Bible says the reason he didn't grow weaker in faith is because he considered him faithful who had promised. Amen. So that's all I got to say about that. That if we understand that my hope is connected to God, then quit looking to your environment. Quit looking to your siblings. Quit looking to your relatives. Quit looking to your spouses. Quit looking to your job. Quit looking to your government for hope. Look to God. Amen? So today I want to switch gears and I want to talk about another thing that God has gifted us with. And this thing is called peace. Everyone say peace. Peace is an amazing word. I, 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 I read this, that every language on the earth has a word for peace. Because everyone on the planet desires peace. So I want to say, every language on the planet has a word for peace. And they all mean basically the same thing. The absence of trouble. Everybody wants peace. They define peace as the absence of trouble. The problem with that is we live in a troubled world. So how if, if, if we define peace as the absence of trouble and we can very seldom, maybe for a moment, maybe between your first and second cup of coffee, before you've turned on the news to discover how messed up our planet is and you're just enjoying the aroma and the flavor of that cup of java, you might know peace. But as soon as the phone rings, you turn on the TV, you open up your iPad, you're going to have trouble. Right? So how do we become a people of peace in a world of trouble? I'm glad you asked. That's the entire sermon for today. Go with me, if you would, to the book of John. And we're going to start off where we need to start off. John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus said these words, I leave the gift of peace with you. I leave the gift of peace with you. And then he said this, my peace. Everyone say my peace. Jesus is about to distinguish between his peace and the world's peace. Now, I want to stop here for just a second because I want you to think about this. Jesus said, I'm leaving with you the gift of peace, my peace. Which means Jesus had peace. And we got to let that marinate because I've had people tell me 
when I'm trying to encourage them, they ask me for counseling, and they become, and they recite how bad life is, and I try to encourage them to have peace, and they look at me like I'm an alien or I don't understand. And they'll usually say things along these lines, and I think you've said it. I know I've said it. We look at our environment, and it's like, how can you expect me to have peace? Pastor, don't you know I've got bills I can't pay? Don't you know I'm about to lose this, I'm about to lose that? Don't you know the trouble I'm having at home? And they begin to recite their environment as a reason why, a justification for the lack of peace. Why? Because they're, they're defining, is this okay? They're defining peace in a carnal, worldly way. They're saying, Pastor, I can have no peace because peace is the absence of trouble, and I got a lot of trouble. Think about this. Jesus said, my peace. How much did he have on him? I mean, the responsibility for all of humanity? The entire plan of God for the redemption of man was his? And yet he said, my peace. Isaiah, and we'll read it in just a little bit, Isaiah said, that the weight of the government would be on his shoulders. The government of what? The government of the entirety of creation. Every galaxy, every star, everything that's ever been created, he's responsible for its governing. And yet he said, my peace. He came to a people who rejected him, yet he said, my peace. He loved them. They hated him, yet he said, my peace. He did good. They treated him like a criminal, and yet he said, my peace. His peace is greater than any environment. And when you and I operate in the gift of peace he left us, which is his peace, there is no environment you can ever encounter that is greater than the peace that abides within you. Because it's not your peace, it's... Is this okay this morning? Let's keep reading. He said, I leave the gift of peace with you, my peace, not the kind of fragile peace given by the world, but my perfect peace. My perfect peace. Don't yield to fear or be troubled in your hearts. Instead, be courageous. Now, this is something that I want, I want you to see is that as we go through these different gifts that God gave us, you're going to find everything is connected. Nothing operates in a vacuum or isolation. Your joy is connected to your courage. Your courage is connected to your, your faith. Your faith is connected to your hope. I'm connected to you, and you're connected to me. In the kingdom of God, it's all intertwined. I used to say it this way. To, to break words apart and to dissect them is good for study, but it's not good for living. How many of you remember back in high school when you dissected a frog? That was great for getting an A in biology, but the frog never survived. So we got to be careful when we break things down in our study of the word. We understand that hope is not isolated and all by itself. If I have hope, I'm going to have joy. 
If I've got joy, I'm going to have strength. If I've got strength, I'm going to be courageous. If I've got courage, I'm going to be bold. It all operates together. And the key is for you to understand that all of this is operating in you, so you are greater than your environment. Hmm. The world's peace is easily broken. Just like have you ever have you ever seen a pond that is peaceful? Right? There's not a ripple on the surface. And you look at it and you think, wow, it is just so peaceful. And then your child picks up a rock and throws it out into the pond because every child wants to disturb the peace. And just like that, one pebble going into the middle of that peaceful pond does what? disturbs the peace. If we adhere to the world's peace, we're always going to be troubled because all it takes is a pebble of bad news to totally mess up our day. But if we understand that we have a different kind of peace, a peace that I'm going to show you in just a little bit makes no sense whatsoever because we can be in the most hellacious of storms, the most troubling of times, the greatest trial of our lives, and yet be at perfect peace. Why? Because we're spiritual beings in a natural world. We're in the world, but we are not. Biblical peace is as strong as God is, because God is peace. Put up on the screen, if you would, Judges chapter 6, verse 24. Then Gideon, this is what the Bible says, if Ge- then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it, the Lord is peace. Yahweh Shalom. He's the Prince of Peace. He is peace. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the scripture says this, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, Prince of Shalom. Now, shalom is a word that we're really familiar with, but it's a word that we got to become even more. It's got to be more than something we know and hear, and it's got to be something we know and hear. Shalom literally means no cracks, no brokenness, nothing missing. Like if you picked up a rock that doesn't have a crack or a chip, you could say that rock has shalom. But it's more complex than that. I like what one old rabbi in my readings, he said, shalom is a stone wall made up of different size rocks, different shapes, different colors, They don't seem to fit, but they've been made to fit. And when that wall is unbroken, it's not uniform. How many of you understand? Life isn't uniform. Not everything's the same. But when it's all fitting, not that, don't put up that picture, that picture, that picture right there. Nothing seems to fit, and yet it does fit, and nothing's broken. That wall has shalom. Nothing's broken. Nothing's missing. Everything is in its place. That's God's will for you and me. It's not good enough to be good enough. God wants shalom in our lives. To where when when someone asks, how are you, we can say, I'm complete. 
I'm completely whole. I'm whole in my mind, my heart, my emotions, my relationships. My finances are good. My body's good. My children are good. We are at shalom, y'all. That's what God wants. Now, go, now put up the next picture. When it's falling apart, when pressure's been applied and it collapses, that's no shalom, y'all. That wall's missing shalom. This is the picture of our lives without God. We can't seem to make it all fit. Because make, is this okay this morning? Making it hold together is not a matter of intellect or willpower. It's shalom, it's peace, it's the peace of God operating in your life. The only way your life is going to be complete is you've got to let God do it. A moment of God's favor, of God's peace, is worth a thousand years of your own labor. You can work on that wall all day long and get the broken part fixed, and as soon as you got that fixed, it breaks somewhere else. But when you let God do it, the entirety of that wall, the complexity of your life, will be held together. Shalom refers to something complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness and wholeness. Go, go to Job chapter 5, verse 24. Oh, my goodness. I got six pages of notes, and I'm on page 1.2. Job chapter 5, verse 24. Listen to this. You will know that your tent is secure. That word is Shalom. For you will visit your home and have nothing missing. The commentator said that Job had looked at his tent and all of his animals were in there. See, when you've got shalom, you can rest securely. When, you don't, when everything's not in place, you have anxiety. You lay down at your bed at night and you're wondering, how am I going to make this work? How are we going to get all the pieces together? My peace, I leave you. My peace I give to you. I want you to understand, God has gifted you peace. Let it do its thing. You can't rest when you feel insecure or unsafe. But when everything is at peace, you are secure and can rest. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 22. I'm taking you in a lot of places because I want you to see shalom is not a church word. It's a life word, and it operates in your finances, on your job. It operates on the battlefield of life. So when you're at a point of conflict, peace can operate for you. Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 22, Then David left the baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line. And I love this. He entered and greeted his brothers. The reason I love this is this word greeted is in the Hebrew, it's two parts. It's shal, S-H-A-A-L, shalom. Shayal, shalom. And it literally means David is, is earnestly inquiring, are you still at peace? Because see, for 40 days, they have been belittled, insulted. And David said, are you still believing? You've been hearing the rant of the enemy for 40 days. For 40 days, 
The enemy's been telling you, you'll never make it. Your child's going to die. You're never going to get another job. Don't you know the economy is tanked? For 40 days, you're here. Listen, you know why the enemy does this? Because the enemy wants to change your focus. I'm going to show you in just a moment that when you're focused on Christ, your peace is unshakable. But if the enemy can get you to focus on anything else, your peace will evaporate. So for 40 days, they had heard these insults. It had been prophesied they were going to be the slaves of the Philistines. So David comes up and he earnestly inquires, are y'all still in covenant with God? Are you at peace? Do you have shalom? The enemy of life seeks to disturb your peace by changing your focus. Your level of peace is determined by the object of your focus. What you think most about determines how much peace you have. Go with me to Matthew chapter 14, verse 30. Boy, I wish I could walk. There's rabbits all over this place. Matthew chapter 14, verse 30 says this, but seeing the wind. And you know, this is in reference to Peter doing something they've never yet taught in any Bible school. I've been to Bible school. I've taught in Bible school, and we don't have wave walking, water walking 101. We got hermeneutics, homiletics, and other words that are hard to pronounce. But there's no class that teaches you to walk on water. Peter was doing the undoable, and he was doing it just fine. And now, something you understand the waves didn't emerge didn't start. It wasn't like the water was at peace and Peter stepped out of the boat. The waves were already there. And he stepped out of the boat and he was doing just fine until we come to verse 30. When he saw the wind, what happened? Changed focus. He was focused on Jesus. Now he was focused on the waves. One translation said when he realized how high the waves were. In other words, when he realized what trouble he was really in. He became frightened, and when he began to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. As long as he was focused on Jesus, he was doing just fine. Faith always rivets our attention on Jesus. Faith doesn't mean we're oblivious to our environment. It just means our attention is on one who's greater than our environment. This is the reason why I always say faith is not the denial of, it's the acknowledgement of something greater. If I'm in pain, I'm not denying my knee hurts. But my acknowledgement is I know the one who made the tendon to begin with. The acknowledgement of something greater than. Go with me to the book of Philippians. Is this okay this morning? Philippians chapter 4, and I want to read you a few verses out of the Passion Translation, starting in verse 4. Paul said this. Now, if you study the Philippians, you'll discover they were not exactly in a great place. They were in some rough times. And this is why Paul says, Be cheerful with joyous celebration in the good seasons of life. 
Every season. Is every season good? No, there are some seasons that are hell on earth. Let's be honest. What are we supposed to do in those seasons? Cry and complain? No, didn't we sing a song about no more crying, no more complaining? In every season, good, bad, ugly, every season of life, let joy overflow. Hmm. Why? For you are united with the anointed one. OMG. I'm united with God Almighty through Christ. So when I'm going through a troubled time, yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear every evil. Because it's all going to happen to me. Doom, despair, and agony on me. Whoa. No, when I'm walking through those times, I keep walking. Why? Because I know he's with me. I know he's in me. And I know the greater one is going to empower me to overcome. You're united with the anointed one. Verse 5, let gentleness be seen in every relationship. For our Lord is ever near. Verse 6, don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled request before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding. Can I say this to you? Peace that is unreasonable is peace that's undeniable. Everyone can be at peace when there's no trouble. But when someone knows what you're walking through and they observe the method of your journey and you don't complain, they can't tell that everything's falling apart around you. That's unreasonable. And when they ask you, how can you operate like this when everything is so hard? Peace. Peace. Peace that's greater than my troubles because I'm fixated on Jesus. I'm, I know I'm united with the anointed one. See, this is a spiritual reality. Is this okay this morning? This is the reason why I'm saying if we train ourselves to think naturally, we think just like people who are without God. Maybe we're a bit more optimistic. But being optimistic and faith-filled are not the same thing. Because when optimism fades, faith remains. I think it's time the church needs to realize, once again, we're more than just energetic, optimistic, hopping and popping people. We are a supernatural bunch of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, world overcomers, and dream chasers. That for those to whom it is impossible, that ain't us. Because for us, all things are possible. Because we believe. Believe what? Every word that's ever proceeded from my Father's mouth. Mm. then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. Verse 8, I'm going to hurry up. So keep your thoughts 
And this is so important right here. Keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable, admirable, beautiful, respectful, pure, holy, merciful, and kind. And fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising Him always. Praise is the pathway to peace. I want to say it again. Praise is the pathway. When you can praise God in the midst of your problems, you'll have peace. Why? Because praise has a unique, one-of-a-kind ability to fix your thoughts on God. Because what praise is, is reciting how great He is. It's impossible to be worried in praise at the same time. I think it was Billy Graham who said this, at least the quotes attributed to him, that he said that the Lord spoke to him one time and said, I wish my people would praise me more and pray to me less. That almost sounds sacrilegious until you hear how some Christians pray. And then you hear that the prayer is filled with unbelief. But you can't praise in unbelief because praise is a recital of his greatness. And the more you recite his greatness, you realize that, One is in me. Mm. Verse 9, follow the example of all that we have imparted to you, and the God of peace will be with you in all things. Put up on the screen Isaiah chapter 26, because remember, we just I want to show you how that this is a this is a running theme throughout the Bible. Fix your thoughts on God. Fix your thoughts on God. Meditate on him day and night. Fix your thoughts on him. Listen, that's not because God is insecure and needs you to constantly compliment him. God doesn't need you to compliment him because he's completely whole. He needs you for your sake to think on him. And in the day of Isaiah, in chapter 26, verse 3, we're about to read, Isaiah is is telling the children of Israel to be different than the Moabites. The Moabites believed that they were secure because they had high walls and strong doors. High walls, strong doors. They were fortified. They had a lot of money in their 401K. So they were secure. God comes along through the prophet Isaiah, and he said, listen, 401Ks fail. Doors can be broken. Walls can crumble. In fact, I want you to do something. I want you to open up the doors. And then this is what he says in verse 3. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Let me read the same verse out of the New Living Translation. You will keep in perfect peace. Shalom, shalom. Repeated for emphasis. An overabundance of shalom, an overabundance of peace. When you got so much peace, you irritate other people. Because you don't join in the whiny games. Have you ever noticed that when you're happy and someone's miserable, you irritate them? Unless you're willing to surrender your happiness for the misery. So when somebody's really disturbed and they're freaking out because they just watched the news. And they're like, oh, can't you believe that? And you're like, dude, it's cool, chill. God is on the throne, and it's all good. It ain't good, nothing's good. Oh, yeah, God's good. I knew you would say that. That's what you always say. And it's what I'm going to say till the day I die. 
the steadfast, those who refuse to take their focus off of him, he'll keep them in perfect peace. Mm. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of Jehovah our God. Is this okay? Jump with me to Psalm 119. I'm, I'm skipping over some things, but you can get the Bible app and get all of my notes. Psalm 119, verse 165. Those who love your law, a.k.a. your word, have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. Now, you remember, at Real Life Church, we say this all the time, right? If it's written, our uncertainty is unnecessary. Say it again. If it's written, our uncertainty is unnecessary. If we love his word, we'll have great peace and nothing will cause us to stumble unless the enemy can get you to change your focus. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 2 says, For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. What? His word. I wanna, his word will add length of days. His word will add years of life and peace. Let me read this saying. Is this okay? I'm, I'm kind of getting excited. My knee ain't hurting no more. I want to run. But then Sister Fowler will correct me for the rest of the week. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 out of the Amplified says this. My son, forget not my law or my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life worth living. And tranquility, inward and outward, and continuing through old age till death, shall they add to you. Mm. Jump with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 13. Jesus is peace. And to have Jesus in your life is to have peace that's undeniable because it's unreasonable. In Luke chapter 2, verse 13, it says this, And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly... This is the reason why... What you get, we're talking about gifts. Because at Christmas, you got some amazing gifts. And it wasn't the Tonka truck. It was a Michigan jersey, which I wore when they lost. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly army of angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among people with whom he is pleased. Now, I want to chase one rabbit real quick. In the Greek, this word people is the word laos, and it literally means his peace isn't for everyone. His peace is for his people. It's available to everyone, but it's only achievable to his people. Are you in Christ this morning? Raise your hand if you're in Christ. Then you're a peaceful person. You have a level of peace that's not disturbed. Just know who you are. You're peaceful. You're not easily agitated. You're not easily provoked. You're not easily disturbed. You don't fly off the handle every time something little happens. Why? Because you're at peace. So you can look at that bonehead that just cut you off and smile. 
I used to be like you, then I met Jesus. Instead of flying into road rage and trying to chase him down, then remembering, oh, wait, I'm a Christian. I already said this. I'm going to say it again. Praise is the pathway to peace. I want to read it again as we bring this to a close. John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave you. You know, the gifts of God are without repentance. The gifts of God are never retaken back. They're not retracted. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled nor fearful. You and I will have plenty of opportunities for our hearts to be troubled. But we have a choice. Walk by faith or not. If I'm going to walk by faith, then I believe that every word of God is true. And if every word of God is true, then it's true that Jimmy has an amazing level of peace because Jesus gifted it to Jimmy. And Jimmy wants to take advantage of every gift Jesus ever gave him. Jimmy doesn't want to one day stand before Jesus and say, oh, I didn't know you gave that to me. You mean I could have had peace my whole life? Everything that Jesus gave, is he gave to us his joy he gifted to us his peace he gifted to us his love his words his grace they're all ours christianity is the replication of christ the goal of christianity is christ likeness jesus said my peace hmm I'm skipping some more things. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read a few verses, then we'll jump to Psalm 29, and then we'll dismiss. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Can I camp out just a minute? Because I skipped a lot of stuff to gain time. What this means is, in real life church, we are to have a bond of peace. doesn't mean the absence of trouble. It means that I contribute to your wholeness. If I contribute to your hurt, if I take what little bit of hope you have and dash it against religious rocks, then I've not contributed to your shalom. I've been a detriment to it. That's not the bond of shalom. What this literally means is everything I have. And you remember Paul said we're one body? As one body, you contribute to me. And I contribute to you. What that means is if you're hurting in an area, it's my job to believe God to give me the giftings to heal you in that area. That through my words, my actions, my deeds, I mean, I am to contribute to your shalom. If we all walk together in the unity of the bond of shalom, we would not increase pain in the house of God. Because my job then is no longer to point out your flaws. 
my job becomes to see, oh, you were injured. Somebody's words broke, chipped your rock. I'm going to apply some mortar called the balm of Gilead to that area so that you're whole. And then when you're whole, you can contribute to someone else's wholeness. And pretty soon we become a congregation of people that are completely holy because we're whole. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. In closing, Psalm 29, verse 11, the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. I got peace for Christmas. What you get. Amen. You got peace. Go ahead and stand to your feet this morning.